Hey everyone, welcome to the weekly Beach Church Message Podcast. This week we're back in our foundation series and talking about the church and how the church is foundational to our faith walk. It's a great message, so gear up for all that God has for you. We believe he wants to speak directly to you through this message. As a heads up, this summer we are going to be having a ton of fun on Sunday mornings and really all throughout the summer as a church as we go on a road trip. That's right, our summer series is going to be Road Trip journey through the scriptures. You see, we believe that God's word is an adventure. And when we lean in, he will speak to us and he will bring revelation to our lives. And that is a fun adventure to go on. And so we're going to have all kinds of fun, crazy things happening this summer. We encourage you, you can go to beachroadtrip.fun. That's right. We have a website with a dot fun for the summer. You can go to beachroadtrip.fun to check out all the things happening this summer with our road trip. And we encourage you, be an inviter, invite someone to come along and experience the fun and adventure of what it means to journey with God and to be in the scriptures. So let's do this. Let's get ready for the message today as we learn the foundational truth of the church being a part of the foundation of our faith. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? All right, I hope you're having a great weekend. And uh, if we've never met, my name is Jerry, and I serve here as one of your pastors. And we are in a series called Foundations, as Pastor Kerry was talking about. And when, you look, when I look at some of those, that little scripting of the different foundational things of our faith, when you look at it, do you sometimes think one of these is not like the others? We've talked about God the Father, who is creator, who is for us, who created us in his image. And then we talked about Jesus, who is uh, the word of God made flesh, that God walking around on planet Earth, and Jesus fully expressed the heart of the heavenly Father. Then we talked about the Holy Spirit. We said that the Holy Spirit is God in us, that empowers us and strengthens us and grows us up and uh, and. Next week, we're going to talk about the Bible and Scripture. And then you come to the church. And it's like, really, is that like in the same list? Isn't church optional? I mean, that's what we kind of talk about these days. I mean, I think it sometimes is reflected in the way that we are connected in the church. It's just kind of an optional thing. And some people would, you know, you'd say definitely this is true, that you can be saved and not be a part of the church right? You can do that. And um, in our culture, you know, they talk about the demise of the church in the West and, you know, talk all about, you know, the fact that we've seen a lot of big churches that seem like they had everything going and then they like implode. And you look at all that and you say, is church really foundational to our faith? To which I want to make the case for, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that today. And you know why? Because Jesus said it was foundational. And the church belongs to him. And so we dare not miss this important part of our faith as we seek to live that out. So before we go into the actual uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16, which is where we're going to be today, I want you to um, take a moment to listen to Matthew's story and see why the church has been foundational to his faith. I grew up in a very abusive household, and so I 
didn't really know Jesus, and even they didn't present an accurate picture. And of course, you know, usually kids, they learn because their parents, and that's the model. Didn't have any of that. So then I also didn't have any friends. I had no community of a positive nature whatsoever. So I, I started working in this popcorn shop with these three brothers, and the entire family was very Christian. That was, their entire dynamic was unusual to me. Um, but it was very interesting because it was so different from my experience prior. And they all kind of went to work on me because they knew I openly wasn't a Christian at all. Eventually, they just got me to the place of, why don't you just give Jesus a try, as we've explained it, and what do you have to lose if it doesn't work? You just throw it in the waste paper basket. A longing in my soul at that moment was filled in a noticeable way, but it was very, it was all very unusual. So that was my salvation happened in a popcorn shop, not in a church, funnily enough. Well, I found community through the, uh, through the internship, basically because I had to interact with people and they were decent people. So that was really the foundational start to my building any sort of positive relationships with anybody. Being around the right sort of people, they kind of broke down some walls over time. In general, I would say they're being good Christians actually showed me a better version of Jesus than I had known previously, in fact. So even seeing a more flushed out element in th these people, akin to how I saw back in my hometown with those three brothers, that was something trustworthy about that. And that really was a major factor as well. Through the expression of him by people who preached in his name, in effect, who lived their life according to his the way, and seeing their love and everything for each other, and by, by extension for me, that was mind-blowing. And just that offered a view of Jesus that wasn't so distant, wasn't so removed from something real. It was vital to me because it offered me insight into how to give and receive love. Uh, my name is Matthew and this is how community has been foundational to my faith. So, <clears throat> if if you know Matthew's story, I can tell you, he is a walking, living, breathing miracle of God and the power of a redemptive community that speaks love and hope into someone's life and to see how the church extended itself into his life. Matthew was one of those persons that would have probably never darkened the doors of a church, but because the church wasn't a building and the church was people and a church was sent into the world, Matthew was able to be introduced to Jesus. So we're going to be talking about the church today. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> beginning with verse 13. Here's the context of the story. Jesus has just fed 4,000 people on a few pieces of fish and bread. And then 
he's going to have this conversation with some religious authorities. And here's what they're going to ask him. Jesus, if you would just show us a sign to prove who you really are. To which I'm sure Jesus is thinking, I just fed 4,000 people with fish and bread. But you see, the religious leaders, their hearts were hardened. <clears throat> and so Jesus then comes from that encounter. He invites his disciples to go on a little field trip. And uh, th this was actually not a little field trip. They were going to travel 25 miles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And I can assure you, if you were a Jewish parent back in those days, you would never sign a permission slip for your child to be taken to Caesarea Philippi. It was a dark, forsaken place to which most Jews would have never thought about going to that place. And that's where Jesus took them on purpose. So, Chapter 16, verse, starting with verse 13. <clears throat> when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus is not seeking to figure out what his platform is all about or whether he's popular or not among the people. Because you see, Jesus followed the approval of one in his life. And that was his heavenly father. But Jesus is going to use this question as a setup for a heart check that he's going to have with his boys about their relationship to him. And so <coughs> Simon Peter said, and uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, you got a pretty good rating out there. You, you're kind of tied in with a lot of great names from the Old Testament. Verse 15, Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. <clears throat> For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I want to give you a kind of a working definition for today <clears throat> about what the church is all about. The church is a movement of people surrendered to Jesus and his mission dispersed or sent into the world. The church is a movement of people surrendered to Jesus and his mission dispersed into the world. First of all, the church is a movement of people, a movement of people. The word Jesus used here uh, as he vision cast what his church would be like, the word Jesus used was ekklesia. And in the Greek, that literally means called out. And so the ecclesia was a, was a kind of a civic generic term that, that was not, had no religious connotations at all. But it was basically the, the emphasis in that day was a group of soldiers that would be coming together to be given a mission or a group of people coming together to talk about something that they needed to do in their community. But it was a word used to reflect 
A gathering of people called together for a purpose. Called together for a purpose. You see, a lot of times when we think of church, we think of it's the building we come to. As if church is this place you assemble and then uh, you leave the church and you go out. And yet the truth, according to Jesus, is that the church is not a building. According to Jesus, the church is you. And the church is me. We had this little song that we used to always sing. You know, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All will follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. That was the song we did. And it was all about the fact that The church is a people. You don't go to church. You are the church. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things about Matthew's story that I loved. He met Jesus in a popcorn store because there were a few guys in his life who didn't think of the church as a building or a program. They realized they were the church and they were called to go and to share Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. A movement of people. But we're also not only called to be a movement of people, we're called to be surrendered to Jesus. Excuse me, y'all. This happens ever so often. I just have to clear out the cobwebs. The church is surrendered to Jesus. In the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone of the church. That's the hinge point. That's the foundation. Jesus is considered the head of the body, which is his church. If you take away the head, you have a dead body. And so the church is always surrendered to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Jesus will always Get personal with us. See, Jesus refuses to be an institution. He refuses to be some kind of information download into your life. He refuses to be just a better way to be married. Jesus is not going to settle for just being a checkoff point on your list of religious things. Jesus desires a relationship. And what does it mean to be a part of the church? It means that we are called to be surrendered to Jesus. That it's not about our agenda. It's not about what we want. It's ultimately about how can we be a people that are surrendered to what Jesus wants from our lives and for our lives. Um, There was a book that Kyle Eidelman wrote um, a few years ago called Not a Fan. And basically, he wanted to create this contrast and ask the question, is your relationship with Jesus really more about being a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? We all know what a fan is, right? A fan goes out on Sunday afternoons and cheers on the team. You wear the jersey. You do the chants. You eat food. You yell and you scream and you act crazy. And you're all about the team and you got lots of opinions about the team. And then you go home and you just go back to your normal way of life. And it's 
not that big a deal, right? In the moment, it was a big deal, you know, and, and sometimes that's the way we are in church. We come to church, we sing the songs, we go to the altar, we listen to the message, and all that is an incredible way to be encouraged as the body of Christ, but then we just go back into our normal lives as if nothing's changed. And Jesus says, this is a most important question. As you're a part of my church, as you're a part of my family, who do you say that I am? Because it matters for your future. It matters for all of eternity. Jesus is all about a relationship. We are surrendered to Jesus. But we're also not only surrendered to Jesus, we're surrendered to his mission. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So what does he mean when he talks about upon this rock? Because in the passage, if you read it in the Greek, he calls Simon rock. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so there's a whole bunch of folks in history that thought that means that, that the, the church is built on Peter. And he's kind of the, the first pope. The only problem with that is that just a few verses later, he goes from being the pope to the devil in Jesus' eyes. Because Jesus rebukes Peter at one point. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are more concerned about the affairs of man than of God. And then later in the New Testament, <clears throat> Peter is going to write about the church and he's going to say, we are the living stones of God that are gathered together. But he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. And so the rock of our faith can never be in a person. Jesus understood as he shared that, that the rock of faith was the confession that Peter made that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, every church that proclaims Jesus is being surrendered to Jesus' mission. See, when we take care of following after Jesus and sharing him with others, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build the church. You seek to follow after me and be on mission, and I'll grow the church. You see, in, in some ways, there are churches that are in the world that are really focused on doing good things for God. And that's important. In fact, you know, that's a part of who we are as the church. Jesus had compassion and love for people. Jesus brought healing into people's lives. But what happens in a lot of churches is they just simply focus on doing good things, but they never point people to Jesus as the ultimate hope. And the deal is there are plenty of organizations in this world that do a lot of good things. But the church was not called to simply be a united way. The church was called to point people to Jesus. The day we stop pointing people to Jesus is the day we cease to be the church. Because the church is all about the mission of Jesus. That's why Jesus, can you imagine 
how miraculous this was that Jesus turned to a group of nobodies with no influence, no power, no authority, people that oftentimes got it wrong when Jesus was trying to teach them something. And he says, I want you to carry on my mission. As he's ascending into heaven, he's saying, you're my plan A. There is no plan B. And you're thinking, God's gotta be smarter than that. I mean, surely he has a backup plan for this deal. Nope. It's you and it's me. We are called to be a church that continuously points people to the only hope that this broken and desperate and hopeless world has. And it's not in careers and it's not in money and it's not in fame or success. It's not in your health. The only anchor we have is Jesus. And so we as a church continually set our eyes on what Jesus has called us to do. The church can be a part of a lot of things in this world, but may we forever be about pointing people to Jesus. That is the mission. But then Jesus would also say that um, we're dispersed or sent into the world. You see, Jesus could have um, vision cast his church from the, the steps of the temple in Jerusalem, right? I mean, that would be a religious place. That would be a great place. It's all holy and everything. Let's just vision cast the church from the steps of the temple. But Jesus intentionally travels 25 miles to make this one point, to vision cast the church. You see, where Jesus says what he says about the church is just as important as what he said about the church. You see, Caesarea Philippi was like the Las Vegas of its day, even worse, even worse. Um, they said that there was a, there was a, this was a place where they would have this big festival every year to, to the god Pan. And this god was a god of uh, panic, fear, and sex. You can imagine where that festival went. And there would be as many as 250,000 people that would gather for this festival. And it was, it was based on this huge platform of a rock. And there was a cave. And inside the cave was this spring. And this spring was so deep, they had no instruments in that day to determine where the bottom was. And so they literally believed in that day that this spring went all the way down to the underworld, to, to Hades, to death, and that the spirits of that underworld would come out of that space. And so you can imagine what kind of festivals and what kind of activities took place at Caesarea Philippi. There was prostitution, there was bestiality, there was infant sacrifice. And so this represented one of the darkest, most forsaken, hopeless places in the world. And Jesus intentionally took his disciples there. You see, what Jesus wanted to point to is as a church, while we come together for worship, I mean, I don't know about you, but I get encouraged when I come and, and, and I'm at worship and I'm hearing other people sing and, and, and we, you know, I'll, I'll see, like last week, we had some, 
some of our uh, student team up here leading in worship. And they were singing a song called, This is a Place of Healing. And as I was looking at some of the kids up on that stage, I knew their story. And I knew what God and what this community of faith has done in their lives. And then Santonio was in the back. I went back to go to the restroom. Sometimes I have to take a pit stop in the middle of worship. And uh, I came back in and I'm sitting back there. And uh, as we're singing, Santonio's back there talking about better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And I know his story. And I know what, what the faith community has done to, to impact his life. And so we gather for worship. We gather around God's word. But ultimately our destination is not here. We're being equipped to then in turn out of God's grace, go out into the community. See, that's what those guys were in Matthew's life, to go out into the community to make a difference. You see, wherever there is hopelessness, wherever there is pain, wherever there is uh, brokenness, Wherever there is shame and guilt and captivity and bondage, that's where God calls his church to go. And it's not always easy and it's not always, you know, it's not always just pleasant. And yet God wants us to be a church that as we go out into the world, everywhere people need Jesus, that's where the church is called to be. And so Jesus understood his people as a sent people. That's why Jesus, at the very beginning, when he first met his disciples, you know what he said? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make of your life something you never thought possible. You will be reaching people. And then at the very end, when he ascends into heaven, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus was very intentional on the word go. That it's not about coming to a place at a certain time. It's the posture of our hearts and lives is always to go, to be on mission wherever people need Jesus. And sometimes that looks like an office place. Sometimes it looks like a neighborhood. Sometimes it looks like Uganda. Sometimes it looks like your school classroom. It's all of those things that we're called to be a sent, dispersed people out into the world. And that's what Jesus wanted his disciples and wanted you and me to know. But then Jesus goes on to say that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You see, the church is called to play offense, not defense. Offense, not defense. The gates of Hades, every time I used to hear that, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And I'm always thinking like, Somehow something's coming at me, like so the forces of evil and death are, are encroaching upon the church and, and we got to stand our ground and we got to defend it, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. In those days, every city was surrounded, uh, at least the ones that wanted to survive, were surrounded by walls. And then there was, there was at least one gate into the city. And that gate was the most fortified place of all because... If an enemy came and advanced on you, if they got through those doors, you were done. If they got through the gate. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. The gate is defensive posture, is, is a defensive posture based 
on Hades and death, they are defending themselves against the advance of the church. Jesus said, as my people advance under my banner, the gates of Hades will not stand against the church. What a positive picture Jesus gave for his disciples. They're sitting there thinking, we're nobodies. We're not gonna be able to do anything. And Jesus, oh no, you don't understand. When you follow after me, not even the gates of death will prevail against my church. You see, defense is all about stopping something or being against something. But when you're offense, it's all about opportunity. It's all about what can we do for the sake of the kingdom of God to make a difference in this world. Offense is about starting something like a revolution of radical love that Jesus called his church to be a part of. In fact, that's how the church basically flipped the script on the Roman Empire after just 300 years. A bunch of nobodies with no authority, no political clout, no money, no education. They hadn't been to seminary. I mean, they had nothing. And they're like uh, squashed between the temple and the religious authorities who wanted to put away any mention of who Jesus was. And the Roman Empire who basically said, no one gets to be called Lord but Caesar and we will execute anybody that lives for anyone else besides Caesar. So imagine this nobody group of people probably didn't amount to any more than 120 to start out with. You know, totally crushed between these two entities. And yet, within 300 years, they won the entire empire over to Jesus. How did that happen? That happened because the people of God no longer saw themselves as spectators. Fairweather fans. They were in it. Blood, sweat, and tears. They were in it for the kingdom of God. They were seeking to be used of God to change the world. And they did that through the radical way of Jesus' love. In a day where uh, children and women were devalued, the church valued them. In a day where uh, everybody, they were in kind of a culture of death instead of a culture of life, where little babies would sometimes just be put out because they weren't the right sex, the church would come alongside and rescue those children and they would raise them up as their own. And as the world looked at the, these people, they thought, we don't believe anything that you believe, but there's something beautiful about the way in which you are living with love in your hearts for one another and for the world, people that don't even like you, people that wanna kill you, and yet here you are somehow loving us. 
You see, the church will never, I mean, the, the world will never pay attention to just us spouting off our beliefs. You know, about 89% of all people who don't go to church believe the church to be hypocritical and judgmental because we're known for what we're against oftentimes. And Jesus said, I I dream of a people who will be known for what they're for. That the trademark of my people, the way the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this incredible movement began 2,000 years ago, not with just people going to church worship services, but with people, when they left, they realized we're not, you know, we're not going to a church building. We are the church. And now we live on mission in every place where God sends us. And that was the church that won the world. And so fast forward 2,000 years Here we are today. The baton has been squarely placed in your hand and in mine. And this is not a preacher thing. This is not a church staff thing. When Jesus talked about the church, he meant every single person who has a relationship with me. And now as we take the baton, we're called to run the race in our generation If not you, then who? If not us, how will this community know that there is an issue of life and death? How will will this community know the incredible love and grace of Jesus in a very performance-driven world? How will they know unless we see ourselves as a church on mission to live out the love of Jesus in this world. And uh, we can't do that and simply sit on the sidelines. We can't simply remain as consumers, like showing up and saying, you know, what have you done for me lately? That God didn't call us to a consumer faith. He called us to a sacrificial faith where we have skin in the game, where we, we literally seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this community. And that's the calling of God today for you and for me. And I know some of you might sit out there and think, you know, whether you're online or here in the room, you might think, well, you know, I don't have much to offer. You are in the perfect place. That was the early disciples. I have nothing to offer. But Jesus said he would build his church. We just have to be available and willing to step out and trust him and follow after him and seek to love people the way Jesus has loved us. So that's our calling. And I know we're coming to this time in the summer where everybody's just in vacation mode. And and in a lot of churches, they they literally just kind of shut down during the summer. We're not that kind of church because we're on mission 12 months a year. Now, take vacation, right? I'm a full believer in restoration and relaxation and family time. We all need that. But don't take a break from being the church 
because that God is counting on you and me to be his plan A in someone's life who needs Jesus right now. So I wanna encourage you, lean in this summer. We got all sorts of stuff planned. We got kids camp, we got mission trips. We have four groups, which are serve groups in our community to impact our community with the love and the compassion of Jesus. Uh, you know, we've got uh, this series coming up where we're gonna look at two books of the Bible, the book of Daniel and the book of Ephesians. And we got a lot of fun stuff planned around this road trip theme. It's gonna be a wonderful summer. It could be the summer that changes someone's life because you and I decided we don't go to church, we are the church. And I pray, I pray, I pray, that we would always be a church on mission with the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts for a broken world. We decided we, want, we would finish today by um, taking communion together. For 2,000 years, the church has gathered around a table to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the reason we do that is we celebrate what Jesus did on our behalf. We celebrate that Jesus gave his life so that we might have, be set free. And so today, we, we come to that table figuratively with our little cups here that you received when you came in. I love the picture of the Last Supper in the book of John because when Jesus gathered with his disciples, they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they hardly ever got it right, including the Last Supper, where the foot washer, the official foot washer was not in the room. So they all thought, I'm not a servant. I'm not a foot washer. Somebody else can do that job. So what did Jesus do? He modeled, no, this is, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of greatness. You wanna learn greatness? Learn what it means to serve. And then he washed all their feet. And then Jesus took the, the, the bread and, and the cup that they were sharing in, in that meal. He took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And so we as a people take in remembrance of him, we take and eat. And then Jesus took the cup and after he had given thanks, he offered it to his disciples and he said, take and drink of this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let us drink with thanksgiving in our hearts. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you would dare to believe in us, that we could be your people and that you could use our lives to reach, raise up and release followers of Jesus who changed the world. By your power and by your strength, and by your love, oh God, 
we renew our commitment to be your church in this community. We stand on the shoulders of men and women who for over 85 years have poured into this community. Nearly every nonprofit in this community has the name of Beach Church signed to it as a starter because we believe in serving our community and we believe in pointing people to Jesus. May we not drop the baton in our generation. Lives are counting on it. Give us your strength and your wisdom to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.